Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, 
CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. We've got another great show lined up for you today. Um, I've been scrambling around <laughs> trying to get uh, all of our normal uh, expert guests uh, on the show and their availability for today. It was kind of short notice uh, but I was waiting to hear back from uh, some of the top ones to, to confirm that their availability uh, was open for today. So we've got, I think, most everybody I wanted to uh, have on the show today. Um, all of the representatives at uh, um, MPIP uh, are flying. They're on planes now and on meetings and things like that. So, uh, But we've got a, um, the owner of a hatchery that's going to be here that participates in the Salmonella Monitor Program to, to kind of carry that, that weight of the MPIP folks. Um, Dr. Denise Brinson, um, who I talk to on a regular basis, she's in charge of MPIP nationally. She was not able to come on the show today. She regretted that, but um, we, um, we will uh, have her on again. We've had her on in the past, and she's written for my magazine. Uh, so basically today, we're going to have, for the first 20 or 30 minutes, we're going to have Dr. Megan Nichols uh, with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention on. She is in charge and overseeing the current Salmon 
salmonella outbreak. Um, I have done webinars with her um, globally out of the CDC headquarters. I've worked with her um, with salmonella outbreaks in the past. She's going to be on. We're going to be asking her questions. We're going to be asking her tough questions. We're going to be asking her your questions um, and the ones that we see posted out there in, uh, in uh, social media. And um, she's going to be able to answer those for us. Uh, after that, uh, since MPIP was unable to come on today due to their scheduling, uh, we're going to bring on uh, Tony. Uh, in fact, it's um, Tony Halstead. He is uh, the owner, uh, one of the owners, or the owner of uh, Hoover Hatchery, and he's going to share some uh, concerns uh, about the um, uh, about the salmonella outbreak from the hatchery point of view. Um, and uh, I think this is a great opportunity. I'm so proud and honored to have him on. He's been very vocal uh, recently working with me and, and writing for the magazine from the hatchery point of view. We don't often hear about that. So I'm very glad that he's going to be coming on the show today. And he's going to pick up the slack uh, and talk a little bit about the MPIP program, specifically um, uh, the salmonella monitored program, uh, because I just ran into an issue on social media where someone said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so glad um, that I now participate in MPIP, and, and they're at, uh, at the backyard level, which is great. That's a great start. It is a great decision. But I also replied to her. I said, um, I'm willing to bet that um, the level of MPIP you, you belong to, you participate in, uh, is does not check anything for salmonella that can act strains that can actually affect humans and we've run into that issue in the past we'll, we'll get into that a little bit today um, either you know calling hatcheries and asking them if they participate in MPIP oh yes we do and all our birds are salmonella clean but salmonella forms way different than being uh, participating in the salmonella monitored program which is about three years old that actually test for salmonella strains that can actually affect humans not just the birds so that's a huge issue right there um, and so so it's a great uh, start and, and a great accomplishment to participate in the MPIP program, National Poultry Improvement Plan, um, that someone had posted about earlier. I wanted to make that correction that you know they test for Salmonella pylorum, which is, affects the birds, but it doesn't check for, say, the Salmonella strains that are going to affect humans or, or your family or your family members. Um, so, so that's a huge hurdle we need to cross regarding that. Um, also, uh, at, towards the end of the show, I've got poultry scientist Dr. McCray coming on. She's an adjunct professor at Auburn University and works with the Alabama uh, Extension uh, Extension Specialist. And um, she's going to be on kind of towards the end to tell us uh, kind of the end game. Uh, I've got a dozen chickens in my backyard. What can I do? What are some of the steps? I know Megan, Dr. Megan Nichols is going to get into some of that, protecting our family. But she'll, she'll talk a little bit more as a bird scientist, talk a little bit more about the science of the birds, the salmonella, why testing. And she's got, a, actually, for the folks who live in Alabama, she's got a testing, a free testing opportunity for you right now if you live in Alabama. Um, but um, why testing may not be always so accurate uh, because they, the, the birds, though they may look perfectly healthy, and we've heard this a lot, oh, uh, my birds, I take great care of them, I feed them organic feed, and they're, my coop's clean, and da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, my birds have no disease. You'd be amazed. We've been doing this podcast almost 10 years now. You'd be amazed at how many times when people, backyarders, send in what they think is a healthy bird uh, to get tested for something, swabbed, whatever, uh, and that may not be the case. Uh, they may be carriers of, of many different diseases. They just aren't showing any symptoms. Same thing with salmonella. They may look absolutely beautiful and healthy and everything's hunky-dory, but they're shedding salmonella um, quite frequently. 
and regarding testing, sometimes it's not always accurate because they don't shed the salmonella in their droppings all the time. So the day you test, they may not be shedding a salmonella in their droppings, and so that test may come back negative even though they actually have positive to salmonella. Also uh, a correction, and I'll, I'll make, uh, allow um, Dr. Um, Nichols to elaborate on this. I see a lot of people just kind of out there going, well, oh, just cook your eggs fine and your chicken fine and everything will be fine. You won't have to worry about it. And of course, that is a big step. But this particular outbreak, the outbreaks we see year after year regarding related to backyard poultry um, and, and middle hatcheries, really at the end of the day, I'll stretch it a little bit here. We're not talking about undercooked food, undercooked eggs, undercooked chicken and that. We're talking about fecal matter, uh, the salmonella being contained in the bird's poop. And if you have chickens, if you're on with yourself when I ask you, uh, you own chickens? Where is the poop? Where, where is the chicken poop? If you don't say everywhere, then you're probably not being real honest with yourself because it can be everywhere, over everything, over tools that you use, over in the nesting boxes and in the floor on, on, because it can, as the poop dries out, it, the salmonella can actually travel on dust and we know how far dust can move. So, you know, really the, it can be everywhere. Um, so uh, what we're talking about and then touching that and then touching our hands. Hand washing is a big part of that, but I don't care how much you wash your hands. If you're kissing and, and your chickens and hugging your chickens, well, then I don't care how much you hug your hands. You just kiss the chicken, and I guarantee you, swab their beak, send it to the lab, and see what kind of diseases are on that bird's beak. So, so you know, all these things that, that kind of come into play when we talk about this out, outbreak and when we've done it year after year after year. We'll be asking the tough questions. We'll be asking your questions because we, uh, we want to make sure you understand and, and get the answers that you're actually looking for um, that you've posted. So we, we've got uh, a lot of people coming on the show today. I'm going to try to manage this um, effectively where, um, um, where we can have them kind of uh, in, in order. We'll take one more. We did the commercial break early on to get that out of the way. We'll have another commercial break um, probably in the second part of the hour. Please take notes, but if you happen to tune in late, um, then this, this show will be turned into a podcast, and you'll be able to listen to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, forever. Um, we've done over 1,000 episodes. All of them are available for your review at any time. Um, also, I wanted to let everybody know, especially our longtime listeners, I've really stopped doing this over the past, but the chat room, the chicken chat room is open today. Um, you know, I haven't probably had the chicken chat room open in a very, very long time, uh, maybe a couple of years even. Um, it, is an, it is a um, benefit that we can do through Blog Talk Radio, but I did open the chicken chat room, so there may not be even many people in there, but if you do enter the chat room, if you're listening live today uh, on that page you're listening from on your computer, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the opportunity to join into the chat room as a guest, or you can uh, create a screen name and come into the chat room. And you can ask your questions there uh, if you have any as the show um, actually uh, actually continues. So we want to uh, make sure questions answered as, um, as we can today. So, um, yeah, if you weren't familiar, uh, we are currently uh, in a um, salmonella, uh, or there is currently a multi-state outbreak of human salmonella infections linked to live poultry in backyard flocks. Uh, a couple of days ago, the CDC, they updated um, the, uh, the case count and the map and whatnot. And right now we're looking at 961 cases in 48 states, 215 hospitalizations, and one death. And, of course, they, when they updated this, a lot of people grabbed a hold of this MT, NBC News. Nightly News called me the other day. The New York Times called me. I've interviewed with them. Uh, everybody's kind of jumping on this bandwagon and, and, uh, based on the, uh, the updated numbers. And we'll get we'll get into some other things uh, with Megan, uh, like uh, I think science and studies uh, show 
that the more accurate number of cases may be 29 times uh, this number of 961, which may end up being close to uh, 25, over 25, or around 25,000 that may be ill. My understanding of that is um, the majority of cases may not be bad enough to go to the doctor or to go get hospitalized or to even be reported, or you know they're just at home sick thinking they had some bad Chinese food and they're now having the effects of that when it very well may be the uh, salmonella directly related to their backyard chickens. Uh, so she'll, she'll get into that explanation and whatnot. But um, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, the thousands of you that tune to the show uh, every single week, we do appreciate your loyalty. And uh, we try to keep everything on the show, in the magazine, in the books, on, the, on everything. Science-based, fact-based, study-based information. You can get the right information here. It's not, hey, it worked for me, it'll work for you, nonsense. We want to make sure now you can, you can take all this information and do with it what you wish. Um, we just want to be basically the liaison to get you the, the, the right information, and then you can do with it what, what you like or what you wish. So let's go over here to um, – let me get over here to the switchboard. We'll go over to the phone lines, and I believe right here, um, if memory serves here, this uh, is Dr. Megan Nichols' line. Um, Dr. Nichols, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I am doing well. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your participation as always, whether it be the, the magazine or the, the global webinars or, or coming on the show when things like this occur and when they don't occur, just to keep us educated on, on salmonella and how to protect our uh, families. Um, I guess to get started, I guess the right thing to do is to have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your position there at CDC and how it relates to the outbreak. And then uh, kind of a quick overview about the outbreak folks can go to. If you just Google uh, CDC um, salmonella, uh, it'll come up over the main page of the CDC salmonella page where you can actually see and follow along and see the utilizations and an overview about that. So again, just for quickness, if you Google CDC, and then Salmonella, it'll come up uh, the first page, and you can click on that and see what, what she's probably referring to. But a little bit about yourself, uh, your position there, and then an overview of the uh, outbreak, and then we'll get into some of the questions that people are just uh, dying to ask. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, my name is Megan Nichols, and I am a public health veterinarian at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. And I investigate outbreaks of salmonella and E. coli that are linked to contact with animals or pet products. And this outbreak in particular is one that's been concerning us. It's the largest outbreak of salmonella infections we've seen linked to live poultry since we've been doing investigations. And so in these 10 outbreaks, we have 961 people who've been infected with the outbreak strains of salmonella. And they come from 48 states and the District of Columbia and occurred between January 4th, 2017 and the July 31st, 2017. And we are continuing to get new cases reported almost every day. Um, we have put up a CDC outbreak web advisory and a map so that folks can refer to that. In this outbreak, it's similar to what we've seen in previous years, but still nonetheless very concerning. About 29% of the people who got sick are children under the age of five years. And we know that these kiddos are more likely to um, develop severe salmonella infections. So that's something in this outbreak that we're, we're certainly concerned about. 
Awesome. Very, very good. Thank you for that explanation. And folks can go to their website and not only get the information about the current outbreak, but also on that page it talks about and they send you to some pages where you can tips that you can do to try to prevent this from happening. Um, and really at the end of the day, uh, everybody seems to just say, wash your hands and everything will be okay. But I know that a lot of folks, we just had a comment as well, ask about this. But, you know, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Like I said earlier, you can wash your hands all day long, but if you're kissing your chickens, then you wash your hands, you know, not going to do much good um, when you're picking up that salmonella from uh, from actually kissing your chicken, hugging your chickens, putting them in the playpen with your child, letting them sleep with them, nap with them, things like that. So so washing your hands can, can be a big step, but again, I don't think it's the, the one and only final thing let me get over here to the um, to the questions I think I've got them listed over here in uh, on a list that we wanted to start and these are no not in any general order and while, while you're answering some of these um, I'll kind of go back over to social media and see if others that have been actually posted but this always especially this outbreak but every year it seems like when this happens this uh, we get this question and it's frustrating for me not being a scientist you know I try to explain it in my very layman's terms of, of doing tracebacks and that, you know, we, we, you know, based kind of like DNA, the DNA strain of that particular salmonella that's tested from the human that has it, and then you test the birds in their backyard that have it, it's the same DNA strain of that salmonella, and then, of course, y'all do work to try to maybe trace that back to the hatcheries, um, and then, and then match it up there. So, so the first question um, is, uh, this came from social media, how does the CDC know the salmonella is from the chickens in the backyard and not from something they ate uh, at, say, a buffet this, this week or at the same time they may have come infect and gotten infected by the birds? So we'll just start off with that one to clear the air with that one because it's always very popular. I think that's a good question. Well, when anyone gets sick with salmonella, they're interviewed about what they ate, drank, any social events they attended, and any, any contacts with animals that they might have had. And based on these interviews, we found that people who got sick with these specific strains of salmonella had contact with backyard poultry in the seven days before they got sick. And then when we went and our state partners and others actually tested the poultry in their backyard, we found that the same strain of salmonella that made the people sick was found in the droppings of the poultry. And those two um, pieces of information really help us um, with determining that live poultry is likely the source of the salmonella. And in most of these cases, the live poultry do look healthy and clean. There's nothing that you could see um, on the outside of the bird with your visible eye that would indicate that they were carrying a, a germ that might make people sick. Okay, so that's, I mean, uh, uh, through scientific, obviously, the, the process of them, um, and identifying that particular strain. So, I mean, just because some people, someone's going to ask this, they're like, so it's possible, but when you, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, okay, um, what are the odds? What are the chances? What are, you know, you have 900 people that have tested, and the salmonella that they have as a human, it ends up being the exact same strain that their chickens have in their backyard, and that some of these actually came from the same hatchery, uh, if it's traced, you know, traced back that far. So, so I guess mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, what, I don't know what else 
you you want to see there because not if it happen you know it's kind of like pretty doggone obvious um, that 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 came from the chickens at the end of the day. I mean there might be yeah. I, I guess as I say just say, so so based on the way you explain that and 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 the route of testing and and how that works. So at the end of the day, it's, it's you're pretty darn sure that it's you know this person got salmonella from the chickens that they got in their backyard that they bought from this store that came from that hatchery. At the end of the day, about, you know, the majority of the cases. Right. And I think the other piece to understand is that we are able to do some advanced molecular testing or advanced types of tests on the salmonella to actually really look at its DNA. And when you compare the DNA on that, on that level of the salmonella, of the um, poop of the sick person and also came out of the chicken poop and it's identical genetically, then I think we're pretty confident that it did come from a common source. And, you know, I think it's also important to understand when we talk about this, what, what an outbreak is. And outbreaks can actually be pretty small. So um, the definition of an outbreak is when two or more people get the same illness from contact with the same animal or animal environment, we consider it a zoonotic outbreak. Now, in this case, we certainly have more than two people, um, and we have done pretty thorough investigation and, and questionnaires to try and look at this because we always want to make sure in these outbreaks that we are um, able to detect the best of our ability, what the potential source might be, and then provide some information that might help stop the outbreak and prevent people from getting sick. Hey, that was my question number three here. What what consists of an outbreak? Someone had mentioned and posted, you know, only nine people in my whole state have been affected. And, um, you know, they live in Connecticut, so not a huge state, obviously. And then not, not everybody in the state keeps chickens. And then if you look at how many people actually in Connecticut keep chickens, then how many actually may have bought chickens this year. And then, you know, so you can narrow that down. But people just look at the broad number, oh, only 961 people in the whole nation. Well, the whole nation, not everybody keeps chickens. And then not everybody bought chickens this year. That narrows it down even more. And then, so, so I mean, they, they look at it too broad. They don't you know, think about narrowing it down. They just say, oh, out of all the people in the world, but all the people in the world don't own backyard chickens. So right there, you're shrinking that number a great deal. And I think you can shrink that down more to people who actually bought chickens this year, and that's going to shrink it down even more. And then you've got the outbreak. And then that special number that, that, that I, again, at, at the layman's terms, try to explain to folks about how science and studies kind of show or prove that uh, the real number of sick um, may be around 29 times the confirmed case. So right now we've got nine, 900 and some odd folks that are, are, have been confirmed, quote-unquote, uh, as, as ill or, or having this. But the real number may be close to 29 uh, times that, so maybe over 25,000. As, as my assumption, as just a lay dude here, um, kind of right when I said earlier, um, these are cases that people may have had this, that it just wasn't bad enough to go to the doctor. They confirmed it was salmonella. They, they had a good immune system. They, did, they had the diarrhea and the nausea and the vomiting and thought they had some bad Chinese or went to a picnic, had bad potato salad, but, but that's over time. Um, science and, and whatnot shows the real number could be up, up there around 29 times the, uh, a confirmed number. Let me explain that to us. <laughs> yeah, that, that's correct. So we have done some studies here at CDC to try and look at how much we underestimate the number of people affected in these outbreaks. And any time a person gets sick, you're right. If they, if they don't go to the doctor, 
or if they go to the doctor and they don't get tested, we would never know that they were part of this outbreak. And so there's a lot of um, places here for um, us to basically not detect a person is sick and is part of the outbreak. And as you mentioned, a lot of salmonella infections may not require people to actually go to the doctor. They might not be that severe, so people might not um, visit a healthcare provider and or not think that it was their, their poultry that caused the illness. And so if we take the 961 people that we know about in this outbreak in 2017 and multiply that by 29, it's over 27,000 people. And that is that is staggering and something that we think is a really significant issue and something that is, is preventable. And so I think that's, that's definitely part of why we're talking today is to pass along some tips and some information because any outbreak that is this large is, is definitely a concern. Right. And then, of course, I think that goes back to that, you know, 27,000 people, but you, it's not all of America because all of America doesn't own chickens. And you've got the people that actually own chickens. And you've got people that just bought chickens this year. Uh, how many chickens people bought chickens or chicks this year from the feeds? You know, so, so then you, that kind of makes it maybe a little bit more, okay, that, that makes it a little bit understandable based on being an, an, an outbreak and narrowing those numbers down. Here's a neat question I don't think we've ever asked since you've been on the show for, for the few years that we've been working together. Um, what is the difference between having chickens in your house? Because that's one of the big things. Don't bring chickens in, inside your house. Uh, you, know, that, you know, don't be kissing them, hugging them. But what is the difference between having chickens in your home and having parrots, canaries, cockatiels, etc., in your home? All carry salmonella, but no one ever says don't keep your pet parrot in the house. And I don't know if that's 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 the statement we just grabbed. So I don't know if all those birds can have salmonella. But but that was that was the the issue there. We just never hear. Oh, you buy a parrot. You know, pet stores, parrots and parakeets and cockatiels, but we never hear an outbreak from them or, hey, you better not do this because the chance of getting salmonella from them. I know we hear turtles quite often and, 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 um, and lizards and, and things like that when they have outbreaks every year regarding the pet turtles people buy when they're visiting Florida and things. But this one particularly, uh, she was asking about the difference between parrots, cockatiels and whatnot and chickens and them being in your home. Well, I think that's a great question, and you're right. It's not one that we've gotten before. And so looking at this, all birds actually have the potential to carry salmonella and to shed salmonella in their droppings intermittently. Um, young animals and those that are under stress are much more likely to carry or shed salmonella. And I think that's oftentimes why we find that a lot of people who get sick in these outbreaks um, report bringing poultry into their home within the last month. And we would say that if you have a pet bird, anytime you have contact with them. So just like the poultry, any pet birds, it's really important to remember. And then the other thing that I think is important to highlight is that what we're seeing here is a, a large multi-state outbreak linked to live poultry. And we don't see these large multi-state outbreaks linked to pet birds, such as parrots or canaries or other animals. And they're produced and they're raised very, very differently than the live poultry um, that are found in backyards. The, the process by which they make it into a consumer's home is, is pretty different. Awesome. Okay, got that. Um, here, here's a couple more. They're, they're always good. Um, apparently, okay, there are studies that show, I don't know how reliable or any of that, but, you know, they'd like to throw them out there. Uh, there are studies that show kids raised on farms have better immune systems. Uh, they don't get as much asthma. They get sick less. So, so 
people take that and think, oh, so shouldn't having interaction with chickens be a good thing for their health to boost their immune system? And I'll add something else that we've actually had on Fact or Chicken Poop on the website. You can go take a look at this at factorchickenpoop.com. It's one of the ones that uh, I think Megan had addressed at that website uh, in addition to what we just talked about. So if maybe if I get salmonella, then I'll be immune and I won't have to worry about getting it anymore and I can kiss my chickens all I want. So we'll add that into this uh, question as well about the kids raised on farms and having a better immune system and then getting quote-unquote immune to salmonella. And I have a feeling that you're probably going to talk about the over 2,000 different strains and you don't want being immune to all of those even if it's a possibility so uh, we'll go with that one next all right well I think that the human animal bond is always good for our health and that raising backyard poultry can be a fun and educational experience for your family but no matter what it's really a good idea to practice good hand washing and other measures to prevent salmonella infection because we know that salmonella is not good for people's health. And currently, we don't necessarily have the studies that would indicate that raising backyard poultry is definitively linked to a more robust immune system. But we do know that they can carry salmonella. So I think it's great to raise and have backyard poultry. We just need to do it in a way that's safe. Um, the other portion of that around salmonella and becoming immune to it is we do not, um, salmonella infection does not lead to long-term immunity in people. So just because you might get salmonella and then become um, healthy again and not be experiencing illness, that doesn't necessarily mean that the next time you're exposed to it, you won't get sick again. And in part, you're right, it's because there's a lot of different strains of salmonella and there are multiple strains that can be carried by poultry. Um, but ultimately, I think salmonella prevention is a, a good goal and it's it's really easy to do with hand washing, changing shoes when you come in the house, um, making sure that you're supervising any children around their, their poultry and making sure they're washing hands and not bringing those baby poultry in the house, making sure they have their own area where they can live and be comfortable. I went over to the um, CDC salmonella page. It looks like I think I counted nine different types of salmonella that have been identified in this current outbreak. I think I counted nine. It's eight or nine um, currently. So, so to elaborate, oh, okay, I, I got. Oh, I was going to say, as of, as of now, it is ten, ten different strains ten. of salmonella in this outbreak, Yeah. Gotcha. So someone say, oh, you know what, I got salmonella, I got salmonella hadar, so, you know, hey, I'm good, I'm, I'm immune now. But then the next week they get salmonella uh, brander up, and then, you know, hey, you know, they're mm -hmm. sick again because they didn't have that strain. So, okay, that sheds some light on, on that situation for sure. Here's one, actually, that I've heard in the past. This one's going to come directly from me. It's on here, and that is um, – um, because we, we often hear, we, obviously, washing your hands with warm, soapy water is one of the best things you can do. But we also hear, and on a lot of informational pamphlets, it says, you know, keep hand sanitizer by your poop and after and before until you can get to wash your hands. But I can't remember where I saw this, learned this. I don't know if it was from you guys at CDC or just saw it somewhere, so it could be obviously be bogus. But I heard that if I go into CVS and buy a little pump thing of hand sanitizer, Technically, that doesn't kill salmonella. Is that bogus? Is that right? Is it somewhat right, somewhat wrong? Um, and if, if salmonella really doesn't kill the salmonella, um, 
I guess the loaded question is, why do we see it so much in pamphlets and information to do if it may, at the end of the day, may just help a little bit or doesn't actually, at the end of the day, kill the salmonella virus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with salmonella, hand sanitizer can be effective. Um, there are some other germs that hand sanitizer is not necessarily effective for, but in this case, okay. it does work. I think the concern okay. is always if you have visibly soiled hands, and so if you have dirt or um, chicken poop or anything on your hands and they're visibly soiled, and you just put hand sanitizer on top of that, it might not be able to really penetrate and get in there to kill the germs. And that's why we say that hand sanitizer can be used until your hands can be washed with soap and water, and that hand washing is, is really the best way to prevent this bacterial illness and this germ. Awesome. And one more, and then we'll get in some kind of some tough questions about, uh, you know, the hatcheries and things like that. And then uh, we can get uh, Tony on here in a little bit on the from Hoover's Hatchery and, and give us his insight on the outbreak. Um, so the numbers seem to be rising each year. Um, I was interviewed yesterday by the New York Times and, and, and we're talking about all, you know, all things, you know, kind of salmonella, backyard chickens and things like that. And, you know, some people are saying, well, obviously as this hobby and lifestyle grows, more people are doing this, more people each year are buying uh, backyard or chicks to, to get into the backyard chicken uh, hobby. So it just goes to show, not, you know, trying to maybe dispel this or, like, oh, this doesn't need to be alarming. Of course, you've got more people doing this. More people are going to be sick. It's just a numbers game. Um, so I don't know. They, I mean, I get, we, do, we don't know at all how many people in America carry chickens. So I guess it would be hard to say, okay, 10 years ago when we only had 200 people sick, that's a certain percentage of the chicken owners. Uh, and then today uh, we had you know, 900 and some odd sick, more than that, uh, probably at, when it's all said and done. But yet we have more chicken owners. So are, 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 is there any kind of studies or anything that shows, and I'm probably sure it's difficult because we don't know how many people in America keep chickens because a lot of times they keep them under the radar because they're not allowed. But has, has that been researched or is that even a possibility saying, you know, the percentage of chicken owners being sick is not going up really because more people are keeping them now than then. So we're seeing the numbers go up because more people are doing it. But relatively speaking, we're still seeing the same percentage of people buying chicks every year getting, getting sick. I know you, exact, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but is that, is that something that's been um, studied or considered or is this, is, are we seeing the numbers go up regardless of with, with the movement growing? Well, we do believe that the trend of raising backyard chickens, and that includes not only chickens, but other poultry, such as ducks, is growing because of consumer interest in really knowing and understanding where their food comes from. And we know that these types of poultry can carry salmonella in their droppings. However, I think you highlighted a good point. We need more data regarding the number of people who own live poultry and don't get sick. And that is something that has been studied in the past. There was a USDA study, but there's not much information that's really recent. And CDC collects information during outbreaks in which people get sick, but we don't have data regarding the number of people who own poultry. And you know um, that number might have changed over time. And it's, it's information that we don't currently have, but um, would anticipate based on um, what, what we're seeing with these illnesses that there truly is an increase in the number of people who are bringing these poultry, um, bringing the, the poultry into their lives and, and keeping them. 
Got it. Okay. Awesome. I've got four questions here. We'll ask these four questions for sure to Tony when we when we bring him on uh, as well. But this is more hatchery related, I guess, because we we see every year. I think three years ago, I believe it was, um, for again whatever reason, the CDC I think made the decision not to release the names of the hatcheries involved, where they think through through tracebacks where the CDC thinks the birds are actually coming from. And so um, that, that always, and I think the reason why in the poultry, backyard poultry world, uh, people question that or like, what's, what are they trying to hide or why do they get a special pass as a hatchery? Because we're so, as, as, as Americans and humans, we're so used to being, oh, E. coli outbreak at this fast food restaurant, don't eat there. Or, you know, just at least, you know, here's the information. Uh, a peanut butter salmonella outbreak a few years ago that was this brand, you know, you may want to think about not buying it. Or we're going to take this off the shelf or, or, or um, uh, you know, uh, maybe this year you may want to, even though you've bought from this hatchery before and are a loyal customer, maybe this year you may not want to buy from them, but then start back maybe next year until once the outbreak has subsided um, and that type of thing. So um, I guess with all those kind of scenarios, and, and this comes from it and you see it too, uh, people say, well, why aren't the hatcheries being named? How, you know, that wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good piece of information as a consumer to say, okay, well, maybe, and, and again, it has nothing to do at the end of the day, I think, to pointing fingers. Oh, they're a bad hatcher. They're putting out a bad product, blah, blah, blah. But to have that information to say, you know, I've gotten great birds from them before. Maybe this year I just won't buy from them while we, while do we see where this salmonella outbreak uh, goes. Um, so, so basically the question is, why are the hatcheries not being named um, when there is, when an outbreak occurs with a consumable consumable item like food, peanut butter, uh, restaurant, fast food joint. They always seem to be actually named, um, and um, I'll just let you go with go with that because <laughs> that's an often often asked question. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, these investigations are incredibly complex, and we continue to gather information about where sick people purchase their poultry, and with 10 different outbreaks going on at the same time, and with all the different strains of salmonella involved, you can imagine how complicated the traceback is. And you mentioned that if a hatchery is identified, someone might say, well, maybe I won't buy from them this year, maybe I'll, I'll switch hatcheries. And, and the thing to really understand with that is that just by getting from another hatchery doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get birds that don't have salmonella. And that's why we think the most important thing for people to know is regardless of where you purchased your birds, the age of the birds, the breed of the birds, they could carry salmonella. And that's why it's so important that backyard flock owners follow recommendations and steps to protect themselves from um, infection with this bug. And I've shared that with folks because, you know, we've, I've had the answer from you guys before that, you know, instead of pointing fingers, let's, since all birds have the potential, and that's a big point I want to make too because I'll see that often on social media. Well, all chickens carry salmonella, what's a big deal? And they do not, um, they have the potential to. Um, and so, yeah, regardless if, you know, what hatchery you get them from, the, the end game, I think, is to do what we can do as the consumer to try to prevent us from getting sick regardless. Because even, uh, and I'm going to, this is even kind of the next, step and I'm going out on a limb here because I don't know this for a fact uh, maybe just an assumption you may not be able to indulge this information but last year and maybe even this year we might quote unquote or might not see um, some of these infected birds are coming from hatcheries that participate in the MPIP salmonella monitored program 
so so not, I guess at the end of the day, we all we often hear this slow. Well, nothing's perfect. We just got to do what we can do with what we got and try to protect ourselves. But there's no quote unquote guarantee. Um, and you may not be able to elaborate on that as far as some. Yes, some of these birds came from a hatchery that was MPIP. Uh, participated in the salmonella monitored program, but I, I think at the end of the day, it is that you know all birds have the potential wherever they're coming from to carry uh, the, the salmonella, even looking perfectly uh, healthy. Here's one that we've talked about before, um, and um, I, I think at some at, at some level you kind of agree with this. We, we you've talked about mentioning it to, to the powers that be there, and uh, it's um, why are and we'll ask kind of Tony this as well, but more on your end. Why are these outbreaks when it seems we see in the news and NBC last night and everywhere else, why do they seem to be directed to the backyard chicken keeper instead of say the hatchery providing the affected chicks? Um, even if the, uh, even if the backyard chicken keeper, okay, is really doing everything, everything they should do to help prevent salmonella. Maybe they're washing their hands and they have the, the um, uh, hand sanitizer. Maybe they're changing their clothes. Someone had mentioned that, um, you know, after caring for their birds, you know, even if they're doing all that, it's it's almost like from from again this kind of human uh, um, consumer point of view, we're doing all this, but we can't even get really a fair shake or a fair start because we're receiving baby chicks that are already uh, affected with with the salmonella from the hatchery. So so I get that. Yeah, at the end of the day, these birds that are infected are in someone's backyard, and the people that are the backyard chicken owners. But I'm just tr we're trying to get an idea of why why it's listed, you know, um, salmonella outbreak linked to live poultry and backyard chickens versus uh, salmonella outbreak linked to live poultry coming from, you know, from hatcheries or, you know, ha that type of thing. So what, what's kind of the theory there um, with putting it toward almost almost kind of like not blaming, but, you know, kind of the backyard chicken person's fault, maybe not the hatchery that's uh, mailing the birds that are infected. On this one, I would definitely say that we take a comprehensive approach to looking at this, and it's really, really important, like you said, not to place blame, because it's really a situation where everybody who is involved in this industry has to do their part in order to prevent salmonella infection. So we call this our, our three-tiered approach to prevent salmonella infection in people. And this includes the hatcheries taking measures to reduce the burden of salmonella. However, it's important to keep in mind that there is no regulatory requirement that the hatcheries do so. Feed stores also play a role in consumer education and source poultry from hatcheries that participate in programs to monitor and reduce burden of salmonella. And we think that that is a really good step because by sourcing the poultry from those hatcheries that are participating in this voluntary program, it really helps to increase awareness about the burden of salmonella and what some of these hatcheries are doing to address this. And then lastly, consumer knowledge is really important. And we want to make sure that the backyard poultry owners have all the information that they need to help them make an informed decision. So I agree, well, it may appear that um, the, the message is, is directed at a certain group. Um, what you'll see on our CDC website and what we practice is a really holistic approach to looking at salmonella and salmonella prevention in people. It, it is all the way through the system. It's something we all need to work on together. 
totally agree. I mentioned that to the uh, New York Times yesterday. I said, you know, it's it's a collective action. I've said many times I've even put it in print in Chicken Whisper magazine at the same time. I think pressure, you know, pressure on the hatcheries to do it everything they can do to prevent this. Hatcheries don't want kids sick. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's silly to assume that. So obviously they don't want kids sick. They want to do everything they can to prevent this. But I, and, and me being kind of uh, the backyard chicken hobbyist, you know, uh, kind of guy that has been promoting this for over a decade, I, I, I wrote this. I said, I don't, I don't cut the owners any slack either that are doing risky things, uh, kissing their chickens, hugging them, putting them in the playpens, letting their kids sleep with them and nap with them and that type of thing, putting them in the bed and whatnot. They, they don't get a free pass either um, because they need to do the things that we're, gonna, we're discussing and we'll discuss more when Dr. McCray comes on to try to prevent this from happening, to get these numbers down. Um, and then, of course, us as educators need to do more to educate the public on the questions they need to ask the hatcheries, like, hey, do you participate in the salmonella monitored program and having the hand sanitizer, washing their hands good. And, and even with little kids, I've got a, a six and four-year-old and, um, you know, parents, you know, as well as I do, we can sit there in front of them for an hour and say, don't put your hands in your mouth. Don't put your hands in your mouth. Don't put your hands in the mouth. They go out, they see these cute little fluffy baby chicks. They're all so cute, blah, blah, blah. And I don't care how good a parent you are. By the time you, you see them putting their hands in their mouth or wiping their nose or whatever, and by the time you say no, you can't even get the word no out. You're like, hmm, and their hands are in their mouth just like that regardless. So, so you know, things obviously can, can happen. I've got, I think, one last question for you, uh, Megan, and we will um, let you get back to, uh, to work. Let me find it here. Actually, there may be two because it's, it's a big popular one here. But um, would it be safe to say, and this, I'll ask uh, Tony this too. I think um, he, w- he would agree to this from conversation I've had in the past. Uh, would it be safe to say that this problem would probably decrease substantially if the hatcheries would stop or limit outsourcing to meet the demand. So every single spring, you've got all these stores, these huge chain stores are ordering millions and millions and millions of chicks. And, um, you know, hatcheries are so big. But there's other hatcheries as well that may not be so big. And so when a large order comes in to this big hatchery, well-known hatchery, they're like, yes, we can absolutely meet that order, no problem. And then they get on the phone and say, hey, ABC Hatchery, can you – I need this many of this. So, so you've got outsourcing going on. And, and I think really the sad part about this at the end of the day, I've talked to you and Tony about it, is that you know, these well-known hatcheries people think about in the, in the backyard poultry industry, if they are named, if they're a part of this outbreak, I, I think it's truly disappointing, uh, sad almost. I feel bad for them if, in a way that you know, none of their birds, none of them may have been infected, but it, the birds may have been coming from another hatchery they're outsourcing from, and now that hatchery is maybe getting a bad name or having to deal with this because they use the hatchery, you know, outsources. So really they can say, hey, none of our birds had this, but it was the hatchery that we used to help fulfill these orders. But do you think if, um, and I don't want to affect the business of the hatcheries one bit, but if if that practice stopped, in your, again, maybe personal opinion, do you think that these outbreaks would probably diminish a little bit? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, Andy. I think one of our recommendations, and this is um, for all hatcheries, is that you never um, source birds that are from a hatchery that is not participating in some type of 
USDA program to actually reduce mm -hmm. burden of salmonella. So even if the hatcheries are doing this practice, we strongly believe that the birds that they get or that they receive from others should also be coming from a source that monitors and does things to um, try and reduce mm -hmm. the burden of salmonella. One of the things we found in this outbreak in 2017 and in the outbreak in 2016 is that some hatcheries are sourcing certain breeds of birds from commercial suppliers. Um, these are suppliers that mostly supply poultry um, broilers for food, and a very small proportion of those are actually going into the mail order hatcheries. However, those large commercial suppliers are not necessarily participating in USDA programs to monitor for and reduce the burden of salmonella. And so we think that sourcing from um, those types of entities that are not participating in these programs and really doing their best to reduce salmonella is, is definitely risky. Got it. And, and how do you approach that? I'm going to tell you how I approach it because after 10 years, I've not that I have a short fuse, but I, I've kind of end up saying, okay, enough is enough. I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, reply to it this way. And then this will be the last question, and we'll, and we'll have you wrap up with anything you want to share with our listeners. But if I had a nickel for every time I've had somebody post over the last decade of doing this show, well, I've kissed my chickens for 10 years, and I've never had a problem. Okay. I know for one, Dr. McRae would probably say, well, how do you know you've never had a problem? So that you know for a fact when you were vomiting and had bloody diarrhea and, 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 and stomach cramps and were bent over, you just assumed it was that Chinese food. You didn't really know it was, wasn't from your birds. So I think Dr. McRae would probably say something like that. Well, how do you know that? Um, but at the same time, the folks that, that, that say that, you know, I've, I've, I've kept chickens for 10 years, I kiss them all the time, and I've never had a problem. This is the way I now address that, um, and, and, I, and I feel comfortable addressing it like this because my father was a four-time cancer survivor, so I use the big C word. Um, you know, saying that I always kiss my chickens for the last 10 years and I've never had a problem, to me, I guess, is really no different than saying something like uh, a smoker, for example, saying, well, I've smoked cigarettes for 10 years and I've never had a problem. But then the first day of the 11th year, salmonella, it ends up in ICU and the smoker, you know. So up at, you know, I think at the end of the day, the way I explain it is it's both risky. Both you're taking a risk. You may, you know, maybe tomorrow you get it. You've been lucky for 10 years if you've been kissing your chickens and slobbering all over them. You may never get it for the rest of your life. But what about these other, you know, if we add up all the numbers, thousands of people that actually got it. Let's, you know, we've actually interviewed those folks on the show that actually even experienced chicken keepers that, you know, how many times before you got salmonella from your chickens did you say, I've been kissing chickens for 10 years and I've never had a problem. But how do you, at your level, when you hear people say that, how do you address that? Well, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I've never had a problem. And I'm going to let you go because that's, that's probably the number one comment we see is that I've never had a problem. <laughs> so how do you address that at your level? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one thing that's really important to highlight is there are a lot of experienced backyard um, chicken keepers out there that do a great job with hand sanitizing and washing hands and having dedicated shoes. They don't bring the poultry into their house. Um, they don't kiss, snuggle, or cuddle the poultry. And 
Therefore, they, they take these prevention measures and they don't get sick. And so I think there's a lot of people out there that are really um, practicing some very responsible health habits. And I, I would say that a lot of people might not either realize that they get sick or um, they might have a really strong immune system and have a very mild illness. And our concern really comes in when we have people who are um, young, under the age of five, like almost 30% of people who are sick in this outbreak, elderly adults whose immune system might not be as strong, um, those with weakened immune systems. You mentioned people with cancer. I think that's an example of that. And indeed, in this outbreak, we have had one death um, that has been reported to us. So I think that while it's something that um, people might, might mention they do, it, it certainly is a risk, and it's a really big risk to take if you are, are someone who's in one of those categories that I mentioned. And I think that that's important to remember um, when, you, when you think about raising chickens and the things that you can do to keep your family healthy and safe. Do you see, and this, this study might not have been done, um, but over the last few years you've got a lot of experience with this. Do, would you say, because I think there's a, there's, a, there's a fine line here, uh, people who keep their chickens as pets, people who keep their chickens as livestock, because I see a lot of comments, people who have a farm, a working farm, a, um, you know, they have livestock, um, they, they, they say, what? Why do people have to be told not to kiss their chickens? They're livestock. They're dirty. They're nasty animals versus the pet people who, oh, they're pets, and I take care of them. Their coops are clean, and I, always, I bathe them. I give them baths, blah, 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 blah. Do, do you see uh, from, from your position – I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you think, do you suggest, do you see that the people getting sick are more of the pet chicken people versus the livestock chicken people? And I, and, and I think I kind of explained that kind of the best I could. And I know we're, we're, you know where I'm going with this. Can you elaborate on that? Pet, pet, mm-hmm. more, more people are getting affected because they're the pet people. They're keeping pet chickens and they're putting sweaters on them and blah, 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 naming them versus livestock people. Hey, my, you know, we, we love our birds, but they're, they're livestock just like our cows or our goats or, or whatever we've got. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we don't specifically ask that question, but what we do ask is how long people have owned backyard poultry. And especially this year, we see a lot of people who got sick who are new or novice poultry owners, meaning they've only owned um, backyard poultry for maybe a year or less and therefore might not be aware of all the risks. Um, the other thing that we do ask is why they why they own and purchase or purchase backyard poultry, and the number one reason is is eggs. A lot of people like fresh eggs, and the number two reason is pets. So I think that's that's something to consider um, when you have these animals, you bring them into your home, especially if you are a new poultry owner. These um, birds can carry salmonella, and you got to wash your hands, you got to change your shoes, and you should not bring them into your house. Great. Hey, uh, Dr. Megan Nichols with Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, anything that you want to kind of wrap up with before we let you go? i got to get Tony on. I think this is a great – he's going to offer a great perspective from the hatchery point of view that a lot of people do not get out there in, in social media, so I would definitely want to get him on before his time runs out. But anything you want to add, what you think is important, we maybe didn't talk about to really relay to the backyard chicken owners out there. 
Yeah, well, first of all, let me thank you, Andy, and um, all of those listeners you have for submitting these great questions. I think it's a really a nice opportunity to discuss this. And then I would just ask that um, everyone out there remain remain vigilant and make sure that they're um, doing these, these types of activities that can keep their family healthy and safe. They can visit our website if they want any additional information and um, hope they continue to enjoy their backyard poultry and stay healthy. That's awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Megan Nichols from CDC for joining us today, and I'm sure I'll be in touch. Thanks for joining us again. All right. Thank you, Andy. Sure. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, not going to commercial break. want to get right on over here to uh, Tony Halstead, and he's uh, my, uh, one of the uh, owners, operators of Hoover Hatcheries, and uh, we're going to bring him on last minute, so thank you very much for coming on. I did know we didn't have a lot of time to schedule this, but um, hopefully you're taking some notes. Hopefully you've got, you know, I know you've got some added information, but I don't know if we've ever actually gotten, I know you wrote an article for Chicken Whisper Magazine, uh, I think it was in the spring, either the winter or spring past issue here. Um, um, talking about, you know, the salmonella um, outbreaks and kind of the hatcheries role and things. So uh, first, Tony, let me uh, give us kind of uh, a little bit about yourself, your position there, and then um, uh, kind of we'd just like to get your side uh, of the story coming from a hatcheries uh, perspective on, on the salmonella outbreak this year. And then we'll, we'll kind of go through those tough questions as well. Uh, there's a couple that related to the hatchery uh, that I know you'd like to chime in on. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Andy, um, and I do appreciate you having us on, and um, appreciate Megan Nichols being on too. We work um, pretty extensively with her from the hatcheries perspective. Um, been to meet her in Georgia, and she's been to see us, and we've always uh, had discussions because, as you mentioned earlier, it's a it's a team effort really to work together in this backyard poultry uh, movement that we all um, have an understanding and we're doing everything that we possibly can to, to make sure our kids and, and even us as adults are, are, are safe and healthy from, you know, from the chicken manure that causes salmonella um, and is inherent in most of the chicken. So I appreciate you um, having me on. Absolutely. Um, what would you say, you know, to our listeners, to the backyard people, the, the folks that, you know, um, uh, the issue with, uh, well, you know, like we asked Megan, well, why aren't the hatcheries being named? Why, you know, why do they get a free pass here if, if you know, if I'm getting the chickens that are already infected, you know, that's how's that fair? How can you know what, what, why not? What, what's the hack on the hat? You know, we've heard even extremes, uh, Tony, and you've seen it before. Uh, well, how come the hatchery's not shut down while they clean this up? Or how come they're still selling chickens year after year after year that they've been named, and and that type of thing? Um, from really share with us, kind of your your, I guess, point of view in, in all of that. And I, I definitely want to talk about the Salmonella Monitor. The MPIP had no one available at the yeah. time to come on. But, um, you know, your your view on, on that, when you see people in social media starting to say, you know, name the hatchery, name the hatchery. And, and you know, it's, we're, you know, they're, they're sending us the, you know, pro- what, what, as the hatchery owner, you know, producing a lot of chickens, what, what's your take on that? What would you say to those folks? Well, I, I think, um, I think Dr. Megan said it very eloquently in that the salmonella is inherent um, all the way around. And so it's more that what are hatcheries doing about it to be diligent? And that is really the issue. So I think that the things that you pointed out and the things that you and I have discussed before is that the customers, the farm stores, the, the direct to the consumer 
the, the important questions there are where are they getting their birds from and what education do they have about what the hatcheries are actually doing. And so from our perspective as hatcheries, we're under, as you mentioned before, most of us are under the Salmonella Monitored Program that takes it deeper than just the Salmonella uh, pylorum. And that's a significant tag that we have to get, and it, you have to go through certain protocols in order to make sure that your salmonella monitored. And there are situations within each hatchery that there might be circumstances where when you're testing, whether that's in your breeding flock before you get the eggs, or whether it's from your eggs in the incubators or hatcheries, or when it's from the baby chicks that are actually tested before they go out, that program has a protocol that you are intended to do certain things if you ever have a, uh, a test positive. And so that's really what the consumer needs to be aware of is are the hatcheries that they are working with that are coming from the farm store, are they applying those practices to do everything they can? Just like a consumer would do everything they can by washing hands, uh, by not doing the things that you had mentioned, which uh, we appreciate um, that part of it too, Andy. But from the consumer's perspective, is it's not necessarily their name and it's more for their education purposes, are the hatchery that you're purchasing from ultimately doing that? And that's really the key that we have to focus on is the education of what they are doing. Because like Megan said, you might have, you might have an instance one month and not the next month, or you might have something from one year to the next year, or you might have something in a, in a certain type of breed that you're hatching. So it's universal in the fact that, um, you just have to be diligent on every flock that you have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you would agree that you know, we've talked about this, we've written about it in the magazine, that uh, as the consumer, you know, oh, it, you know, let me get my catalog out or let me start looking online. I want to pick out these certain breeds. And then when they go to order, when they end up in their mind picking out a hatchery, maybe, to, you know, when they call in their place in their order, to ask, ask those questions. One, not just Definitely. to participate in the MPIP program, but to say, hey, do you also – uh, participate in the uh, MPIP Salmonella monitored program, and um, you had talked about. I think I think um, if you, since MPIP can't come on today, you can you've talked a little bit about it. But maybe I, I think you test like five times uh, a month in swabbing different things, the trays, the incubators, the boxes, things like that, and send that in. And and I think there is. A, I share this with uh, MPIP. The communication breakdown that when because it's happened to me, I've actually went to a hatchery website. A little chat room popped up and says, hey, chat with me now. And I asked them, whoever that was at the hatchery, um, uh, I was wondering if you participate in the MPIP Salmonella Monitor Program. And whoever that was, at whatever level they were, say, oh, yes, all of our chicks are tested salmonella-free, da-da-da-da-da, we participate in MPIP. I later called to follow up, and they they knew it was me, not as Andy Schneider, just knew the same person. And they said, oh, I, th- I think I just talked to you on the chat. I'm sorry I gave you wrong information. We don't participate in the Salmonella Monitor Program, you know, but we do participate in MPIP for Salmonella Pylorum. And so I just, sure. I just I've stressed that so much because it is tricky because a, a hatchery could say just, you know, oh, yeah, we participate in MPIP and we're Salmonella clean, but yet they're not testing at all for any strains of Salmonella that could affect humans like your hatchery does participating in the Salmonella Monitor Program. Yeah, that's true. And, and Andy, I want to differentiate though something too, and that 
there's true. There's those different standards, and the salmonella monitoring standard is more significant and diligent than the um, the the sal- salmonella pylorum under the NPIP. Mm-hmm. You actually have to um, you actually get a budding system that if you were to see a label that came from that NPIP approved hatchery, it would actually say salmonella monitored on it. But even so there are minimum standards that a hatchery has to follow. Um, our hatchery happens to be uh, um, go above the minimum standards just because we hatch more frequently than what those standards are. Um, but there's still the opportunity, no matter if you're monitored, that salmonella could occur just because you're not, you're not testing every single chicken um, in every mm-hmm. single barn. Um, you're testing a sample from the barn, you're testing a sample from your incubators and hatchers, and you're testing a sample from the chickens that are shipped out, and you're doing it frequently, um, but mm-hmm. you're but when you're hatching a significant number of chickens, one chicken out of all of those could still mm-hmm. have salmonella. And I think to Megan's point, mm-hmm. that's why hatcheries aren't named, because as long as they're doing everything they possibly can, and showing their effectiveness by doing that, then then they're doing whatever they can do possible, and still have a situation where salmonella might occur. But but in the very least, consumers should be asking, you know, are you salmonella monitored? That's a first step. And then if they want to be more diligent, they can actually ask about the testing frequently and how they do it. That's just and if a hatchery is not willing to give out the information as far as how often they test and what they do, then, um, you know, then I'm, I'm not sure, but I know most hatcheries would have no problem discussing that with the general public. Sure. If you, if your hatchery got a phone call today, let's say somebody called and said, you know, Hey, I bought 25 baby chicks from you in April, you know, May, Easter mm-hmm. time. And, um, I, I heard about this outbreak and I'm just concerned what, what, you know, if if my chicks have this or not, you know, that type of thing, as I'm sure you get calls like that on occasion, what, what would you sure. tell that person? Maybe you've got a listener now that ordered, you know, and, and, you know, what, I know you can't speak for every hatchery out there, but if uh, one of your right. customers called and said, Hey, I heard about this. What, what do I need to do or be concerned with, or do the, is there a chance mine, you know, we've already kind of covered that, but um, what, what would you tell that customer that called, called you guys? Well, I would say that whatever Megan um, mentioned earlier, all of that was just very impressive, and I agree with her as far as the diligence on the buyer. But what I would say is that from our perspective, and to be honest with you, the hatcheries that I work with, those those hatcheries and us, for the most part, we do whatever we is necessary, and most of us do beyond what is required as far as salmonella monitoring and so we do test our we test our breeders when um, our breeding stock is placed um, after they're vaccinated to make sure that any eggs that are being produced that we could safely say that the breeders at least are salmonella monitored and 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 are mm-hmm. passing with no positives like and in addition, that when the eggs start producing from our breeders, they go into our incubators and hatchers, and then they hatch. All of that is tested each time that we hatch on a sample form to make sure whatever is coming out of those incubators and whatever is being sent out um, is salmonella monitored. And when I talk about salmonella monitored, I'm talking about the fact that we take um, tests from the droppings 
and we send those to laboratories in our state with a third party also verifying them. And in addition, we're not just um, testing for salmonella, we're testing the stereotype or the genotype of that salmonella if we were to have a positive test. And as Megan said, there are a lot of different salmonella types. Some affect humans, and those stereotypes, when they show that they would affect a human, then they're sent for further testing, and then we must follow protocols in our industry that if that happens, then there's certain other testing and there's protocols as far as um, being able to sell or being able to hatch even those chickens if we find that that instance occurs. And that's, you know, that's general practice. And, and to your point earlier about um, the fact that, you know, chickens have been sold for a long time and it's, you know, really the last two or three years is when this has become a situation that's more widely recognized. We do believe it's because there are more people that are in the industry now. There's not probably more hatcheries. There's fewer hatcheries, um, but there are more people certainly buying poultry and buying poultry for the first time. And so part of it is education, but part of it also is that as this has become more recognized, I think more hatcheries are having to be extremely diligent and do more about it too. And so there's there's education that has come about, meaning mostly the Salmonella Monitored Program now, to say, you know, we didn't do that 10 years ago, but we are doing it now because of the lessons learned and what we're finding as far as um, uh, people uh, buying chickens for the first time. Um, so that so that all kind of comes into play when we're talking about the Salmonella Monitor program. Right. I know she she didn't elaborate quite, I guess, like <laughs> I thought she would regarding the pet versus livestock. And and I, and I but I, I do I personally think from seeing this and, and looking at the comments online, you've got the folks that may have been raised on a quote unquote farm or raised them for meat or raised them for a living. And I'm not talking about the commercial folks guys out there. I'm just talking about uh, you know these are livestock according to our family. Yeah, my daughter names a few of them, sure, but you know we, we, they're dirt. We know that livestock is dirty. We know that we're not going to kiss them, and you know that. But you know my daughter has named three or four of them, that type of thing, versus the that now over the last, you know, 10 years, especially the last five years, how chickens have become not, for a lot of people, not livestock, but pets, just like the cat or the dog sure. or whatever the case may be. Sure. So they're like, oh, this is a pet, so I can hug them and I can kiss them and things like that. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting in trouble with this, is treating them more like a pet than livestock, uh, whereas, you know, we may not be seeing these numbers if the pet aspect wasn't coming into play i.e. hugging and kissing and, and things like that. And uh, to elaborate other for, for other folks that are listening, I said it early on, uh, we're this, this outbreak, we're, we're not talking about undercooked eggs or undercooked chicken. I've seen that mistake made a few times in some of the forums. Right. Uh, this is, this is kind of coming from the bird's poop. And, then of course, we know the chicken's poop ends up getting everywhere. It even collects on dust and can move via dust. And then you just, again, forget to wash your hands. You put your hands in your mouth. I'm going to throw out this scenario, too, because people never think about this, I've found over the years, is that you go outside in your backyard. You let your chickens out to kind of free range when you get home from work. You have a dog or two. They're out in the backyard walking around. Maybe they get along great with your chickens. The chickens are pooping in your backyard. Your dog step in that chicken poop. Your dog's mm -hmm. in the chicken run or the chicken coop. Your your dog step in that poop, and then guess what? 
Come on, Fido, let's go in. Let's fix some supper. Your dog comes right in the house. You don't wipe their feet. They absolutely stepped in chicken poo. And now everywhere your dog goes, there's a potential to have that salmonella, which means in your bed, on your pillow, on your favorite easy chair where you hold him in your lap while you're watching MacGyver, and, in, and everywhere else in the house, in the carpet where now the baby's crawling. And they just tracked in that salmonella-infected uh, poo from your chickens. That's a scenario that I know a lot of people don't think about that have even dogs that now they've let them in the house and there's an opportunity for the salmonella to spread in their family. So um, pet, again, pet versus uh, livestock. Um, Right. I want to get over to um, Dr. McRae too, because I want her to kind of tell uh, the chicken folks about the sound. I had one great question uh, directed to her, but um, I wanted to, like I said, I want to give you the opportunity to share Anything that you'd like to share with, with your customers and other chicken owners, chicken owners are thinking about ordering and reordering. And, and I think, I told you New York Times this, I think this is maybe why we're seeing greater numbers is that if you think about it, okay, you not only have the movement that's growing, the backyard poultry movement's growing, and so you have a lot of, yes, first-timers buying the baby chicks each year, uh, but you now also have people that have had chickens for a while, maybe three to five years now, and guess what? Their chickens, their hens are starting to lay less and stop laying. So you've got all these people that got into the movement for the last five years, and guess what? Now they're buying chicks again to get right. eggs again. Cause they're, cause, so I think that that increases the number of people buying chicks every year because of the people that are getting got into it three to five years ago. They, they need more eggs now, so they're getting chickens. And then, you know, the whole the whole movement as, as a group, I think, is, is not just the, the new folks. She's like said, the new folks we see more because of the lack of education are having this more, but we also have more people buying baby chicks to replenish the chickens they bought that are slowing down with their laying. So you've got those folks as well. Um, so I think overall we're, we're selling more. But anything you want to tell your customers listening, others that are listening, and this again, this is um, Tony Halstead, uh, the owner and manager up there at uh, Hoover's Hatchery. I'll give the website out. It's uh, www.hoovershatchery.com, hoovershatchery.com. And um, but anything you before we let you go, uh, thank you so much for coming on because a lot of people don't hear the perspective from the hatchery so much. So it was a great opportunity to have you well, on. So anything you want to share. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And then you know, because we have talked a lot within the last year, just um, as these outbreaks occur, just to educate. And, and you have helped us educate from the perspective of the backyard poultry buyer what the expectations are. And so very impressed by that. And I, I want to just say that between hatcheries and the CDC and the NPIP, um, we go to conferences. As I mentioned, we are diligent in working with those groups to get tracebacks and to do whatever we can. And so the general public, um, I would just say that we appreciate the fact that the backyard poultry movement is growing, and we appreciate that they are loving chickens, and we just want them to take care of themselves, and we want to take care of them by doing whatever possible that we can because the things that they're doing in their homes are the things that we're trying to do in our breeder flocks and within our own hatchery um, to make sure that, that everyone's safe. And I would say also awesome. that when we're working with farm stores and working with the general consumer, we're really working in farm stores that as people are buying for the first time, um, we're putting out education to them so that they know um, everything they possibly can know. And I know that you go around to a lot of uh, those farm stores and do your talks, which is amazing to me. And I wish we could do more of that, but we do work really hard. And I think you can attest, Andy, that we do work hard mm-hmm. 
um, with our education. I think you've seen some of our education material um, and writing in your magazine and you requesting that and asking us that. We're always privileged to work with you on that. So, again, I want to thank everybody. And um, I, I reiterate what Megan said, that this is a team effort. Um, this is all of us working together to, to stay safe. And enjoy back poultry. Mike, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And like I said, I'm even written in the magazine that, you know, the backyarders don't get a free pass. I'm pro backyard chicken and backyard chicken keeper. But at the same time, you know, you you have responsibility too as the backyard chicken right. keeper to do what you can to try to prevent this um, as well. But yeah, team effort uh, all throughout. And um, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. If there's anything we can do to help, definitely reach out and let us know. Okay, thanks, Andy. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. Appreciate appreciate your time, too. Thank you. I know Tony was at a, a business meeting or a conference in Boston, I think, at the time, so he last minute literally kind of broke away from that, and we got him on a little late. So, <laughs> But um, we do appreciate him coming on. Tony from Hoover's Hatchery. You can visit them online at uh, hoovershatchery.com. I'm not going to commercial break. I'm going right over to our good friend, poultry scientist, uh, Dr. McRae, and I already have your first question, Dr. McRae, which is right up your alley. Um, it was posted on our Facebook page over here. You may have already seen it. Um, and I'm going to have you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now over in Auburn. But your first question actually is going to be, will my chickens always carry salmonella or will it go away over time? That'll be your first question, but first tell us a little bit about yourself. You're Dr. McRae, Ph.D. I know you're over uh, adjunct, I think, at Auburn University, and you're really involved in um, the uh, extension and 4-H over, uh, I know, all of Alabama. So tell us a little bit more in detail about yourself, and then we'll get the tough questions. Really, I want to have you on to tell us about what we can do. i got 6 to 12 chickens in my backyard. What can I do to help prevent this? Um, so tell Hi, Andy. Yourself, huh? <laughs> hey. Well, I'm a poultry scientist. I'm a microbiologist, and I have studied salmonella. So it's a bacteria that I'm familiar with, one that I understand. And for about a decade, I worked as an extension poultry specialist. So I have answered this question many, many, many times. Specifically, I work with small flock owners. Even in my role right now as um, head of 4-H animal programs in Alabama, I work with flock owners and small flock owners because we have a good program called Chick Chain here. Okay, to answer your, your question, will the chicken always have salmonella or will it go away eventually? Well, as with any active illness, if you are actively ill with something, you're going to be shedding that bacteria in many different ways through your gastrointestinal tract while it's traveling through your bloodstream and making you feverish and ill. Um, and we know salmonella can do that. That's where we get typhoid fever from, from uh, salmonella typhimerium. But um, as your immune system, if it wins the war against this bacteria, your immune system or your chicken's immune system wins the war, which you hope it will, or oh, you die, um, you're going to slowly get a decrease in the amount of bacteria that you shed. Here's the ticket with salmonella. It's got mad skills. It takes up <laughs> residence in the liver. Because remember, when you, when you cross the gut barrier into the bloodstream, what's the blood or the circulatory system's filter? The liver. 
So, of course, bacteria is going to make its way to the liver, but salmonella has figured out how to hang out there. And it can hang out there for years. Will your chicken have salmonella for years? Quite possibly. Doesn't mean that that's going to be the case with every single chicken. But it's a, you know, if if your chicken happens to be one of those that gets a, a little colonization in its liver, then periodically it's going to drop out a few bacteria. And if you get a large enough dose, if you're already sick with something else, if you're really young, if you're really old, um, if you just get uh, the right environmental conditions, boom, you're sick. You got it from your chicken. Ta-da! Will the chicken eventually clear the organism from its system? Maybe. That's the most you're going to get from me, Andy. Maybe. Okay. No, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Because because that that you know we've we've uh, we've 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 hashed this out so many times over the years. Give me a, when we have give all me you guys a moment, on. Andy. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna talk to your listeners about something that has me really concerned. Um, Yep. We've talked about these outbreaks for a number of years, haven't we? Yes. And it's growing. It's growing, you know, because we're testing more, and it's growing because people are getting sick more. I'm worried about a culture of acceptance versus a culture of common sense. Right now, we get a lot of pushback from people who are like, oh, you're making this too complicated. Just, you know, just leave it alone. We're going to be fine. You're making this too big of a deal. It's too much work. Well, you know, salmonella can make you sick. It can cause people to die. There's lots of organisms that can do that, and it's not okay. When people get sick from E. coli outbreaks, especially 0157H7, there is no culture of acceptance. That problem is traced back, and we get rid of the problem. Same for salmonella. So if you are one who wants to just live in bliss and create a culture of acceptance all around you and on social media, guess what? You're placing a burden on the rest of us. You're placing a burden on chicken legalization groups, on your fellow chicken keepers. You're placing a burden on hatcheries, whom we just heard from. That means the price of chicks are going to go up. That may place them. That enjoyment that you like so much may price somebody else out of enjoying that kind of of um, flock in the future because of your culture of acceptance. You're placing a burden on the hospital systems and the insurance systems. That isn't fair to others. This burden that you're placing on the rest of us will lead to restrictions. Um, Could be that your city that went through the legalization process unlegalizes stuff. Nobody wants to see that. Could be that somebody who's been working real hard for legalization or a group of people gets denied because of this, right? here, right now, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. How about registration? 
Nobody wants to pay extra fees for things that they view should be free. Like a fee for keeping your flock. Now, I do know some locations they have to pay a fee, kind of like a dog license registration. But not everybody does. But do you want that to happen? Because it's in the thought process, especially when it hits the news. Because people are kissing chickens. Then there's testing. Nobody wants mandated regular testing of all backyard flocks. <laughs> Who's going to pay for that? You are. Eventually, the prices for any sort of registrations or fees are going to be passed right back to you, the flock owner. Do you really want that? Oh, that certain organisms, like, say, rabies for dogs, requires uh, vaccinations. Do you want required vaccinations for your flock? These are the sorts of things that, ugh, yes, on the news, I saw that there was some sicknesses. But, you know, I'm not going to stop, stop kissing my chickens because, you know, it's never happened to me. You're stacking the deck toward flock restrictions. And you're likely going to take the fun away from others so please don't get lulled into a culture of acceptance use more of a common sense approach and hopefully we won't be placing burdens on others and ourselves in the near future so I just wanted to to say that a little slice of common sense and and please heed the warning but Andy, go ahead. What is the next question? <laughs> what is the next question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was the applause from uh, from actually our audience. I think they're actually still applauding that that um, that information here. Let's see, are uh, still applauding? Let me see. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm gonna steal that, and if you don't write that up. For me to put in the next issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine, and I'm going to go back and, and type it word for word, listen to the show once it's archived, and type that up. <laughs> I already wrote I'll you one credit. article. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you credit for that. I'll just type it, and I'll go back and word for word, and pause and play, and pause and play, and then I'll, I'll, I'll post it in a little square in, in, in the magazine and, and put your name at the, at, at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was absolutely awesome. Put some things in perspective. That you know, some, and even if it created into a small meme or something, I'm always going to kiss my chickens. I don't care. Here, and then post that meme that basically points out exactly what you just said. Well, just thanks a lot, then, fella. I appreciate that because you're, you know, you're affecting us all by doing something that's uh, kind of dumb. So, yeah, thank you for sharing sharing that. Um, so I know biosecurity is at utmost of what you do. It always has been, and and in education. So. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of this starts. It ties into uh, the culture of common sense. So what more do you want? Exactly. Um, and, and like I said, people, I mean, a lot of people just on a whim just say, wash your hands. That's simple. But not so fast because if you wash your hands and still kiss your chickens, that's not going to do you much good. Um, and as an, uh, another long-time listener fan talked about, says, I think it's more than just washing hands because people handle their chickens. So now – what about, you know, changing their clothes after they handle their flock and clean that, you know, having, of course, the designated pair of shoes so you don't track it back in, but also 
uh, coverall. I mean, they're not expensive. You can get some cheap coveralls that zip. You step into, you zip them up. There you go, a head net, and then um, and then there you go, and, just, and then have it sitting at the back door when you go out if you're not willing to change clothes. Because yes, through the you know the you hold that bird. Guess what? There is poop on that chicken's feet. I guarantee you. And where their feet and are on, on their, their feathers shirt, too. Clothes. And on their feathers, on their I know feet, some people their, who say that they'll kiss, they won't kiss the chicken's beak, but they'll kiss the feathers. You're kidding me, right? Dust goes everywhere. Of course it's on the feathers. Dust, yep. Absolutely. And um, if they're like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Till you're not. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, so what, I, said, I knew you were going to say that when they said, I've never had a problem. And you probably heard me say, yeah. I can hear Dr. McCray now on hold saying, can you prove that? How do you know? How do you know when you had that yeah. bloody diarrhea? Until you can show me your blood test came back negative, <laughs> negative serology for any sort of markers for salmonella, then we'll talk. I don't know if you'll be in the majority or not, but, yeah. You can take a blood sample from people. You can take a blood sample from your chickens, and that will tell you, you know, have you had salmonella? Was it recent? Exactly. So for the backyard folks, obviously salmonella, I mean, um, biosecurity is a big thing to help prevent this, including um, insect control, including rodent control. We've heard and we've talked about on the show, people say, oh, my gosh, my chicken just ate a whole mouse. Oh, my gosh, it was so gross. Is it going to hurt it? And everybody and every blogger is, you know, oh, it'll be fine. It's free protein. It's extra protein. That's what chickens do. They're wild and they're omnivores, blah, 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 blah. And then that's just going to increase the chance of salmonella, not necessarily in the poop even, but in the egg if they're out eating rodents all day long. And insects are a vector for disease as well. And biosecurity uh, is at utmost. And you can hear tons of podcasts where we've talked about biosecurity to a base. You can go to chickenwhispermagazine.com and, and look at the articles, the numerous articles on biosecurity and, uh, and things like that. But is there anything, I guess, at the end of the day as we kind of wrap this up, um, Anything you want to really, you, you want to share? I love what you said earlier. That, that took the cake right there, bottom line. But, you know, for those who are interested, you know, some people don't care about science and fact and, and, and studies. They just don't care. And um, they're going to keep doing what they're doing, and it's going to be a, cons- a government conspiracy. So, you know, we know we can't reach those folks. They're not interested in fact, science. And, well, I, and, as a taxpayer, payer, I am not interested in paying for their ignorance. <laughs> that. That's very true, too. Um, I guess that's a good point as well. Especially when I work um, so hard to educate people and you can prevent stuff. So as far as back, um, backyard poultry is concerned, there are fact sheets in a million bajillion places. You can go to presentations and they all talk about biosecurity. What it really comes down to, Andy, is folks, do the work, and if you're not going to do the work, then really think about, you know, do you really like keeping those chickens? Because if your kid gets sick, it's going to be, you know, half a day before they start showing symptoms. They'll already be shedding organisms, and if they're going to school, they're sharing germs. Um, You know, we're humans. We interact. We share germs. We can prevent all this. Keep your chickens in a coop. Keep your coop predator free. Keep rodents out. 
check regularly that rodents aren't getting in the feed, keep insects out, look for insects and ways to, to get rid of them. And commercial industry, they're required to do all this work. And if you got a backyard flock of chickens because you don't like the way industry is doing things, then don't make the mistakes that they haven't been making for years. That's good. And like I, I, I've told folks, you know, a bunch of, no, I completely agree. Making the words definitely right in my mouth. It reminds me like when we talked about being predator-proof. You know, you know you're, when you're looking at that coop, number one, how predator-proof is it? And at the end of the day, if you're losing, I'm not talking about a grizzly bear here. A grizzly bear can rip the door off of a one-ton truck by <laughs> F-350. I'm talking about a raccoon. If you are losing chickens in your backyard to a raccoon or a possum, guess what? Look in the mirror. Who's to blame? You either did not do the research necessary to make a predator-proof coop and run, or you weren't willing to spend the money necessary to make a predator-proof coop and run. Yes, accidents And that's the same for, for mice. And, and no, you can't keep insects out. But you can monitor, and you can act when things get to a certain threshold. And, of course, the biggest problem for bringing in disease are people. And we've talked about it. Put a footpath out there. It costs 25 bucks, and then a few bucks every few weeks to maintain it. That's a really good first step, and it's just a matter of keep. It's like weeding your garden. Yeah, sometimes the garden gets away from you, but you know when you need to step up and fix the problem, or you're going to lose the garden. And you know, if you're housing all the Japanese beetles that are eating everybody else's garden, great, thanks. Or you know, the powdery mildew that spreads to your neighbors, you know, prize-winning pumpkin right before they went to the fair yeah Thanks you're a great that. neighbor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so same thing with salmonella guys good deal i, I love it that you, you put it that i don't think you've ever put it that way quite before and and listening to it i'm, I'm glad and all the uh, up until this point and yeah i'm definitely going to go back and yeah i think i'll assign that to my wife i say hey you're going to um, go back and weed your garden no, I'm going to go back and, and type word for word what you had said on the show here, and then I will give you credit, but I will make it into a meme, <laughs> or I will have it in a file, and I will start sharing it every single time when someone says, I've just my chickens for 10 years, and I've never had a problem, and that, that's a great way of looking at it. Okay, great, so you don't mind if we start registering all your flocks and mandating vaccinations and doing this and all this, and this, this will eventually cause... Um, if we don't wise up and start doing the right thing. I love that um, theory and uh, to really kind of show it. I don't want it to come to pass, but let's not lay the groundwork for that path. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. Hey, anything else? I'd really appreciate you coming on. You're always a step up. Sure, sure. If you have other questions, I'll happily answer them. Um, Let me go check chat. I did have the chat room open today for the once in a long time. And... um, Okay, great. So my uh, auto, my audio level dropped, but you can still hear me a little bit, so that's good, but maybe it was the other folks. So thank you very much for uh, the chat room letting me know that, and let me see what else. Um, somebody did in the chat room say that 
the current salmonella outbreak is being caused by Confederate statues. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh. they were having some. They, they, I know they were having some fun in the chat room today. So more power to them. But I don't think I see any specific questions in there. About... The last thing I wanted to talk about, Andy, is that anybody mm-hmm. in the state of Alabama who has a flock of chickens can get free salmonella testing right now. What you do is you enter a dozen eggs, take your fresh eggs to your local county extension office by Monday, 3 p.m. That's Monday August 28th, and they will be hand-delivered on Tuesday here to the Poultry Science Department at Auburn University and tested for salmonella. It's free right now. Take advantage of it. It's peace of mind. And you can be a 4-H member. You can be an adult. Um, When you get to that extension office, ask for the survey that goes with it. They're going to ask you real quick. Um, you know, how you keep your chickens, make sure your name and address is on the carton. And you're going to get all mm-hmm. kinds of feedback because this is also related to a student research project right now. You're going to get all kinds of feedback about your, your flock. In addition, if you'd like to bring a little clean Ziploc baggie, uh, not clean when you do what I'm about to tell you to do, of droppings from your flock, um, Take two or three fresh droppings from your flock. It's not like they don't stop defecating. They defecate all the time. And that little that Ziploc baggie, put your name and address on it, will also test for internal parasites and give you feedback. All this is free and confidential as part of a couple of research projects going on right now at Auburn University Poultry Science. So if you want more details, Reach out to your county cooperative extension office and ask for your 4-H agent, and they will be able to assist you. Or just bring those eggs in by Monday, 3 p.m., August 28th. Thank you, Andy. Awesome. Let me That's that great. Out there. I think it's great service. That's awesome. And uh, the folks in Alabama are are very, very, very blessed. Um, that they've got you uh, over there work as uh, you've been on the show for a long over five years now. I know maybe well six since Jen was pregnant six 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 years, and maybe longer than that even. And seven <laughs> years you've been coming on the show. So seven, I think. Awesome, great, and, and you're all about yeah education and getting the right information out there, and we appreciate that, Dr. McRae. And we'll have you back on here in uh, the first. Uh, Thursday in uh, September that's coming around the corner a couple weeks from now. So thanks for clearing your schedule to come on and uh, helping us educate the masses about this outbreak. And uh, we look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you, Andy. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Can't say thank you enough. And uh, that's going to wrap up today's broadcast, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. I'm going to end the show with a commercial break that I just didn't want to go to while we were having such an important show about an important topic about keeping families safe, keeping kids safe, and, and, and that sort of thing. So we'll go to a commercial break here to end the show, and we hope you'll tune in. We broadcast every single Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's not me just yapping about chickens or my experience with chickens. We bring in the experts, the poultry 
scientists, the poultry nutritionists, the poultry veterinarians that actually share information. Current information um, that's going on right now around the country, you know, salmonella outbreak, for example, to diseases they're seeing that are spreading in certain parts of the country, to anything and everything about keeping our backyard flock um, healthy. Uh, in your backyard flock healthy. It's very, very important um, to do so. And, and, and we hear people that say, you know, because, you know, I have hamper on the blog blogs a little bit. And that's why uh, I did the website Fact or Chicken Poop. That's why there's a whole book coming out in December, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. And a lot of information on blogs is going to be in that book and how a lot of it is just kind of a, a bunch of fluff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's very important, science-based, fact-based, study-based information um, to help raise a healthy flock. You can t you listen, take the information, do with, it, do with it what you wish. If you say, oh, that's my lark, and I'm going to keep doing it my way, you got uh, Dr. McRae's uh, <laughs> kind of theory on that. But um, we think it's important to uh, have the... Uh, the, the important to have the right information to you. So um, we just wanted to share with that. So you can tune in, the magazine, chickenwhisperermagazine.com, um, the books that are out the, every Thursday at 2 we broadcast this, um, and uh, we said the magazine, and then me, uh, catch me on tour. I'd love, I always love to meet my fans and, and want to do that. But again, at the end of the day, you do with the information what uh, you wish. But we want to make, you know, I hear from a lot of people, you know, I still visit the blogs because I love chicken jokes and I love to see little chicken recipes for treats and, and uh, I love to see the fancy pictures of chickens. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when it comes to me needing or wanting science-based, fact-based, study-based information, I'm going to the Chicken Whisperer outlet, whether it be the magazine, the books, the podcast, uh, whatever the case may be. So enjoy those cute, whimsical pictures of chickens. But hey, you know, when you're visiting those blogs and forums, ask four words, show me the proof. Okay? Alrighty. Hey, thank you very much. We'll end with a commercial break, and uh, we'll see you back here uh, next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay? God bless everybody. you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back.
from our family to yours. Feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, hey, what is it?